Hear the word of the Lord. You probably heard of the expression, the great Australian dream. If you look at our first uh, next slide there, you probably know what this idea means. People talk about it a bit. Uh, the great Australian dream is the widespread belief among Australians and our culture of the desirability of owning your own home, isn't it? Uh, and the security that home ownership brings. And it's been a feature of our culture for a long time now, probably particularly since the Second World War. Uh, and a description I found online of the uh, Great Australian Dream says that uh, typically the Australian Dream focused on uh, ownership of a detached house, often single storey, on a quarter acre suburban block, surrounded by a garden, which featured in the back a hill's hoist and a barbecue. Now, that might sound familiar to many of us. Uh, I grew up in Sydney, in, in what they call red brick suburbia there, and every house <laughs> looked like that um, in, the, in our suburb. Uh, and so, the great Australian dream is about the house, yes, but it's also about a lifestyle that goes along with the house. So again, people talking about what, what it looks like, it says, uh, those who achieved the dream also followed a set of rituals to go along with it, including taking an annual summer holiday by the ocean, living within a nuclear family, as well as the father or husband mowing the lawn for every week, preferably with a Victor lawnmower, uh, washing the family car, either a Ford or a Holden, on Saturday mornings. And uh, that was the Australian dream as it was first formed. It's obviously gotten a bit more elaborate in recent years, now you can have more than one car and some of them can be imported. Houses have gotten a bit bigger and our holidays are a bit more elaborate now. Maybe we go overseas. Uh, the trip to Bali is part of the great Australian dream for many people. So if you've ever lived in, in the suburbs of Australia, you recognise this dream, don't you? This is how um, we live. Uh, and the, this dream has, of course, been depicted a lot in TV shows and movies um, about people living it. So the castle was a fantastic... Uh, defence of people wanting to live the Australian dream to have their own house uh, and to stay in it for, uh, for their life. And I think if the great Australian dream has a spiritual home, it would be Ramsey Street. This is where you find our dream made <laughs> laid out right before us. And it's been going on for many years. People love it. And one of the great, if you just think about the great Australian dream, uh, one of the great recurring conversations in the media particularly as we think about, we just had an election, is how the, this particular dream is becoming more and more difficult, particularly for younger people to actually achieve. Uh, it's become, it seems to get harder and harder to get. Houses are becoming more and more expensive to buy. We need to take up greater levels of debt in order to uh, get the house and to get the dream that goes along with it. And so we talk about, or if you think about the way we talk about um, policies of the government, I think a lot, of them are, a lot of them have the great Australian dream behind them, don't they? Uh, why are we so upset about negative gearing and the effects that it brings on first homeowners and all those sorts of things. So it's actually, it really is something that's a big part of our culture. And people ask, can I still pursue this dream? Uh, uh, will, will someone bring jobs and growth that will enable us to keep doing it into the future? So a, a lot of our rhetoric is around that. Uh, so, now the point today, I'm not going to talk about whether it's a, great, a good thing or a bad thing to have the great Australian dream, but it actually really helps us to think about the topic of our sermon today and how much of an urgent issue this is for us. 
to deal with the question of what brings meaning and, uh, into our life and what are the dreams that we pursue. So if you think about again about our, theme, our sermon with the series, we're thinking about the book of Ecclesiastes. This is the second in our series on this uh, book. And the book of Ecclesiastes, is a, it's an Old Testament book and it's a book of wisdom. And the wisdom is about how to understand the world in which we live and how do we live in a way that helps that we live well or that lives in accordance with how the world actually is. And so we've called the series Life Within Limits because the teacher in Ecclesiastes encourages us all to be aware of and to accept the limitations that we have as people and in order to live life under the sun um, in a realistic way. Last week, uh, Tim looked at the introduction to this book and the teacher really argues in that, that for most of us, or even all of us, life is essentially a perplexing enigma. It's it's hard to grasp, hard to understand what's actually going on. He talked a lot about the word hevel. And I heard you had a smoke machine here last week, which I missed out on. Uh, But that's a good... Uh, example of what the when, when the teacher says that life is meaningless, he uses this word, actually, it is fleeting, it's hard to grasp, it's like smoke, it looks like you can grab it, but you actually can't. And it's hard for us to know what is, uh, what is uh, worth holding on to, or even if we can. So meaning and purpose in life tends to evade us, even as we grasp after, after it. And so in the passage that Margaret just read to us today, we look, the teacher begins to reflect on his own life and the different things that he's tried in order to grasp after meaning and to see if he can find something that he can hold on to. So he starts by testing the good life. He tests the dream. He tests what was more, you know, the great Israelite dream, very similar to our own. And he sets himself a sort of scientific uh, question. I'm going to explore whether achieving material success, prosperity and everything it brings will bring meaning and lasting happiness to my life. You may recognise another great Australian dream in this phrase, wouldn't it be nice? So our lotto asks us to imagine how wonderful it would be uh, if we were to achieve everything and have everything that we ever wished for and be able to get it. And the teacher asks this question, but he asks it slightly differently. From a more sceptical point of view, he asks, would it be nice? Or would it be nice if you actually had all these things? Let me try and see if this actually holds out the promise, from the promise that it makes. So he sets out to try again all the different areas of enjoyment in life and to measure them against his goal, which is to find meaning. And before we look at what he tries, it's worth remembering that Ecclesiastes is a book of wisdom. So it's not really, it's about understanding life. It's not about morality as such. It's not ask, he's not asking, is it bad uh, to pursue success? Uh, is it good or bad? He's asking, does the things that we pursue actually give us what they promise they will? So is it actually what it, what it pertains to, uh, purports to be? So he tries things. The first he tries is partying. Okay? He tries, he says, pleasure. He enjoys laughter and wine and all the foolishness, he says. You know, all the things we think about, we think about cutting loose, letting your hair down, having a great time. He doesn't spend a lot of time on this because, as you would expect, and I think most of us would realise, if you try to pursue meaning this way, it doesn't really get you very far. He says it's pretty obviously a bit fluff. It's, it's smoke, it's something you enjoy one night, you wake up the next morning, you get a, you've got a hangover and you haven't really achieved much. So he tries this, doesn't really spend a lot of time on partying because it doesn't, it doesn't bring meaning to him, that's fairly clear and uh, that, that's not going to do that. So he then decides, I'm going to try some, yes, I'm going to try some more serious things, I'm going to grow up, I'm going to get serious with life and so he says, I undertook, I undertook great projects then. 
So he sets himself to work hard and to build, build the things that we think are good. So he builds a big house, gets a vineyard and puts it in it. He puts in gardens and parks and trees. He has a fancy irrigation scheme so it can be green all, night, all, all, all year round. And he, and he builds up a great set of servants to work for him, lots of animals, gets a big herd more than anyone else, money, silver and gold. And he hires artists and singers to entertain him and he acquires for himself a harem. Oh, no, more, no more comment about why <laughs> this is uh, important to him. So he tries everything. He goes, he blow, you know, the great Australian dream is fairly modest, isn't it? He goes right past that all the way to the logical end. I'm going to get everything I possibly can. He's got that kind of successful business tycoon mentality, you know, Kerry Packer style. I'm going to get it all. Lots of employees. I'm going to have the big house expensive cars, everything you, you could have, the billionaire lifestyle. Uh, the, the billionaire Malcolm Martin Forbes came up with a famous expression, uh, he who dies with the most toys wins. And so this is, this is the, 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 the teacher says, well, is this true? I'm going to give it a go. And he explored this philosophy of getting everything. In verse 10 he says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labour, and this was the reward of all my toil. So he enjoyed himself, he went to the limit. This is his big test. So what did this test show for him? Is this the meaning of life? Well, he goes on to say, doesn't he, in uh, the next, very next verse, Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and what I had toiled to, to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind, nothing was gained after the sun, under the sun. So he says, I got everything, and everything that I got, it turned out to be just smoke. I couldn't grasp it. Uh, most of us haven't lived that dream onto the other side and achieved all the toys, and it's easy to think, and I do from time to time think, it really would be nice to have the comfort and the convenience that wealth brings. And he says, yes, it is very nice, but when I got it, it wasn't what I was looking for. I, was, I, felt, I, was, I felt I was chasing the wind. So from the point of view of his quest, which is actually about meaning, it doesn't, it doesn't stack up. And I think it's because the teacher, he sees now how our limitations as creatures make this project not ultimately a satisfying one for what he wants. And there's two reasons. And firstly, it's because the prosperity that he achieved is actually confronted by, in the end by the reality of death and the, and, the, and the fact that that comes to us all. And secondly, because in the pursuit of the dream that he followed, he lost the enjoyment of the things that he had. And this is why he talks about toil. It's a real big theme in Ecclesiastes, that the toil and the hard work and the tedium that goes along with pursuing these things that he, that he wanted. And the problem is that the, the toil, this effort that he put into building all these things, it didn't pay off in the end. Um, the reality, is, he says, is you work your guts out, you get all this stuff that you want, and by the time you get it, you can't enjoy it, because you've, you've used up your life and then you just have to hand it over to someone else and who knows what they're going to do with it. You lose the ability to enjoy your success when you die or even before you die. So in verse 19 he says, who knows whether that person, you know, the one who takes over from what you built, are they going to be a wise person? Are they going to be foolish? What are they going to do with it? You've, you've toiled for nothing or you've toiled for something you can't even hold on to. The, and, you know, even if you do hand it on in a, great, uh, you know, a great fortune, a great empire, the people who take it, up, take it from you might you know, throw it away or, or destroy it. 
So you're working hard for the end in things that are going to fade away like smoke. You can't grasp it. It doesn't, it doesn't last. And, and we do know, yeah, success comes to an end when we die and everything we, we've got we lose. But even we know that in achieving success and prosperity, often the cost is so great that we don't enjoy it. Of, he says of stress and worry and overwork, damaged relationships and all the things that people lose on the way. In verses 22 to 23, he talks about this. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving at which they labour under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain and even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. You know, you think about it. How many of us have struggled at night to get to sleep because we're worried about work, because we're worried about money or we're worried about the things that we have to do? It steals our life. And how many people have you known who have died early, perhaps of a heart attack, because of the stress of the, of the life that they followed? This is reality. Even in achieving great things, we lose ourselves. Um, and he says this, I've seen that he says, this is smoke, this is a chasing after the wind, it doesn't bring what you think it's going to bring. So again, for the teacher, this isn't a moral question, he's not saying it's bad to work hard and to, and to build something great. He's saying, if we live in a world, though, where eventually we're all going to lose everything that we've achieved and it's not going to last. And so that's the question, that, the question that he's asking isn't answered. You know, it's true that for most of us, if you think about it, it's obvious. In 100 years' time, anything we've done is not going to be around anymore. It's going to be gone. Um, and, he's, you know, if you die with the most toys, you're still dead. <laughs> and all your toys are going to be gone soon, too. This is what he's saying. And the point for Ecclesiastes is that the limits of our lives confront us with the limitations of pursuing our dream. Uh, even if we achieve, we achieve everything that we ever wanted, it's a chasing after the wind. In the long term, it amounts to nothing. I'm not going to end my sermon there because that's a real downer <laughs> place to end. But that's where, that's where the teacher gets to in his exploration uh, of uh, meaning and purpose. But if we're honest, we do know, I think this is, this is true. This is the way life is. I mean, if we face reality, this is how things are. So we've got to think, though, what do you do with that? Once you've realised that everything I'm, I'm working for uh, is, is, is not going to last, what are you going to do? And so there are two things I think we can say, and the first is something that the teacher himself says after this, a different perspective on the things of life. And also, uh, Jesus offered a more radical perspective on this issue to his followers, so it's something worth thinking about. So, what we actually find, I think, if we look at Ecclesiastes as a whole, is that he gives us actually an encouragement that when we face this question of what do we do with the things in our lives, it's better to have a more simple, limited and down-to-earth attitude to their meaning and their purpose for us. And I think the teacher would say, if we recognise that the things that we have, our possessions and our achievements, don't bring ultimate meaning, then actually we are set free then to enjoy things simply for the good things that they are. So in verse 24 and 25, after our reading today, he does, he says a few th different things. He says, A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God, for without him who can, find, who can eat or find enjoyment? I think the Christians and the Christian church often have a reputation of being very negative about enjoying life. Uh, we sort of say, oh, it is, it, is, it is meaningless to pursue pleasure, it is meaningless to enjoy things. 
Uh, and the teacher, I think, would say that's a mistake uh, because the good things in the world, all these good things that we can enjoy, have been given to us by God to enjoy. And within the limited lives that we have, actually, it's, it is. What can we say? What is better than to enjoy the, the gifts that God's given us, to revel in them and to enjoy them with thankfulness? This is different, though, he says, than chasing after the wind. It's not putting meaning in these things. It's just accepting that, that they're here and God's given them to us. If we don't make these things the object of our lives, then we can enjoy them, thankfully, not chasing after things that we don't have, but being present to the things that we do, that God's given us. I think if we think about uh, our experience then of something like the Great Australian Dream, again, I think the teacher would remind us that it's not in the achieving the dream that we find satisfaction or thankfulness, it's actually in the things that God has given us now. And that's important because, as I said, many of us realise as, as things go on that less and less of us are going to be able to enjoy that dream. Um, many people my age and younger find it very hard uh, to achieve that dream now and the cost of doing so is going, might be more than we can bear. So the teacher would say, we don't chase the wind, we don't chase the dream, we eat and drink, we find satisfaction in the work in the, today that God's given us to do. So that's his, an, that's one of, that's his answer. Okay? Um, there is a limited uh, value in the things that we have. We should be thankful for them. But I think, though, this sort of peaceful resignation is not the end of the question for Christians. We actually have more to say about the meaning of our possessions and our striving after them. Because Jesus offered um, a perspective on life that looks beyond the limits of our ordinary life and towards eternity and towards the meaning that comes from God's plans for us. So Jesus had a very interesting conversation with a rich young man and you can find that in uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 17 to 31. And this young man, he was a good, uh, good man, he came to ask Jesus, well, what should I do with my life and what should I do if I want to be saved? And he's told him that, yes, I'm doing all these wonderful things um, and I'm following all the commandments. And so it says here, I'll just I'll read um, a, a lot of it for you because it's a very, very clear. It says, Jesus looked at him and he loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and they said to each other, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And then Peter spoke up, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, replied Jesus, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus' words to the rich young ruler are great, are helpful. It's not bad to enjoy the good things of life. It's not bad to be rich. 
But he's telling him even those things, even those good things that God's given us can be a hindrance and a distraction in pursuing uh, the real treasures, the treasures of heaven. And the treasure of heaven is the presence of God with us in our lives now and in eternity. Uh, For Christians, we are not actually in the long run supposed to be pursuing the great Australian dream because as as the teacher says, it doesn't actually bring satisfaction in the end. It doesn't bring meaning. The dream and the goal that we're pursuing is the knowledge of God, his will for our lives and the relationship with him that brings fullness of life now and forever. It's something that you won't lose when you die. You don't have to give it away to someone else who's going to squander it. It is yours for eternity. It it lasts. It's not Havel. It's not smoke. It's an eternal treasure. And this often means that Christians are called even, with, even to, to abandon the good things in life, the wealth and success and the things that God's given us in order to pursue this knowledge of God, to follow that path. And a, a good example of that in the history of the church is the example of someone like Francis of Assisi. He's a very famous uh, man, in the thir- Italian man in the 13th century. Uh, he grew up as a young man. He had, he had a very wealthy family. He had everything he needed and it looked like he was going to follow his father's footsteps as a merchant and do very well for himself. He was a lot like the rich young man in Mark's Gospel and he heard the word that Jesus said to that man about leaving everything to follow Christ Uh, and he did. He gave away his wealth and he embraced poverty in order to seek God and to be in solidarity with others who were poor too um, and where Christ was to be found. This is the life that he chose and many Christian people have been felt to call to to follow the same path because seeking God is greater than seeking the things, um, uh, the pleasures that life brings. Uh, and th- but this is the sort of life that's even beyond the wisdom of Ecclesiastes because the teacher would say it is the best thing that you can do is just to enjoy the life that God's given you. But Christ actually says there's even more than that. Even in this limited life I'm not going to pursue the joy and the pleasure that life brings because there's something that I want more. There's more to life than this and true joy is found in pursuing God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. So I think uh, this is a hard word for us to hear. I find it very challenging to hear this, uh, that there might be more that I, have, that I have to pursue God with or to give up in order to know him. And so Jesus' disciples were right when they said to Jesus, if this is true, if this is the way that, that you might call me to follow, who then can be saved? It's too hard. Uh, but he said it is possible with God. You know, and so all of us do struggle with this problem. And I think... Today I think the passage from Ecclesiastes really just calls us to recognise that it is a problem. It is a problem that we face. What is actually bringing our meaning in life? What is our dream and where are we actually going? What are we chasing? What is our attitude to the dreams that we have about possessions, about success and the things that are going to last? God's given us a wonderful world to enjoy. I think as Christians we need to enjoy it and perhaps enjoy it more than we do and be really positive about it. But we've got to ask ourselves, are we pursuing God with the same energy that we pursue the gifts that he's given us? That's the, main, that's the real question. Are we pursuing God with the same energy that we're pursuing the gifts that he's given us? Are we willing to stop pursuing them if it means that we can pursue him more? And that's what Christ challenged the rich young man to do. Are we chasing the wind or are we chasing the one who made the wind? And so Ecclesiastes asks us to challenge ourselves with that question. I'd like to leave it hanging. It's a question for me. It's a question for all of us. Are we living the dream? What is the dream? And where are we going? 
So let me pray that God would uh, show us the way as we think about that today. Lord, we thank you for the wisdom in life that we can see if we are attentive, that the things that we pursue, while good, don't bring a lasting meaning and purpose to us. And we pray that you would help us to see more clearly what the true treasure is of our lives and to give ourselves to pursuing that at whatever cost it might take. Please give us strength to do that because it is too hard for us to do on our own. And we pray that as a culture, as a nation, as we think about what our future will be, that you will help us to pursue you as clearly as we pursue the things that you've given us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.